right. Everybody with me still? That felt like a, a, a lot, uh, but, but those are all really important things. Well, I don't know about you, um, but I'm tired of bad news. I'm tired of uh, the natural disasters that it seems like just come one after another. Um, I didn't speak about it. Really hard for me uh, with the shooting at the church this last uh, week. Um, I don't know if I've really processed, and I feel like I'm processing in front of you now. Um, but as a pastor, just to have my people, to have something like that happen, and then for the pastor to not be there, he was out of town. Um, I feel like I've been grieving for him and with him. Um, but, it, but just that bad news, like over and over, you just hear it more and more, and the, the, the sexual misconduct that just seems like every day just more and more people, the pain that has been, been caused by that. Uh, other mass shootings that we've seen, the poverty, uh, racism, we, we see these things and we just see the hurt and the pain. And if you're like me, at some point you're like, when is enough enough? Yeah. Right? The, the thought of when is this going to end? Uh, it, it isn't hard to, to look around and just, just wonder what is going on and to be honest, to begin to say, God, where, where are you? As we've been even just prayed, you know, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us, not just in, in our country, but in our world. Like, what, what is going to happen? How is it going to stop to, to ask the question, why? My, my kids, if you have kids, man, that is a favorite question, right? Uh, why? They ask that question over and over, and often the, the why is to really meaningless type things. Um, but man, then you, then you have your kids when they hit a certain age, and they begin to ask why about serious things, right? Uh, for my daughter, I specifically remember as we, we've talked about racism, we've talked about the civil rights movement, and she reads a lot on it. And I remember her coming to me one day and saying, why, why do people treat one another that way? Good question, baby girl. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Good question. I, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. And, and then my son begins to ask those why questions, and there are no easy answers to those wise. And so we, we're in the middle of this series for the life of the world. And we've been looking at our salvation. So God has redeemed us. He has rescued us. He has saved us. He's put us in right standing for what? For what? Is it just for ourselves or is it for others as well? Is there something that is supposed to happen that, that benefits other people because we're followers of Jesus? And so week one, we looked at this idea uh, from Jeremiah 29. There were exiles, which just means strangers, strangers in a strange land that we feel like heaven, if you're a follower of Jesus, that heaven is our home, but we are here and sometimes we feel out of place. And so often the response is from, from study and, and people observing this, we do a couple of things. We, we hide from it. We isolate from it. We kind of have this fortification mentality or we fight it. We feel like it's a, a, a battle that we need to win or we blend in. And so we talked about this, and we talked about how if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to understand that this is our home here and now, that God has placed us where he has for purpose and for reason. And so we, we respond to that. And then it's really clear in Jeremiah 29, he, he talks about building houses and settling down, of, of building gardens, of, of having kids, and then having grandkids. And it's this idea that you're going to be here for a while. Instead of isolating yourself, instead of fighting against it, instead of blending in, we, we make this our home. We contribute to what's going on. We, we live distinct lives where people say something is different about you. 
And so that's our response. And so week two, we looked at how does that work out in family? What does that look like as a family to, to live not just for ourselves, but for our community, for the life of the world? And last week as I was gone and Dave filled in, the idea of work, what do you produce? What do you do with your hands? And is it for ourselves or is it for the community? Is it for others? Is it for the life of the world? Today, we're going to talk about order and justice. Order and justice. So in this very broken world, when we say things are not right, what do we do? How do we respond? There's a movie that goes along with this series. Uh, People are meeting in small groups throughout the week to to discuss what we've talked about. Uh, Here's a trailer for this week. Dear everybody, today we're talking about justice. All about justice? Yeah. (laughs) Here, sit down. Seriously, this is all about justice. Sometimes there's a fight over there and a fight over there and a fight everywhere. Maybe we've got justice all wrong. Order helps us think about the ways in which God has set things up. If that's the case, how come I just see more hurting people? What if something's missing? If we don't have this one thing, this whole thing just completely collapses. Better have a seat. How are we to operate with so much hurt, so much dysfunction in the world? We've given into a culture that says, trust no one. If you would ask me where do we start in Chester, is believing that this creative God desired that we would bury the image in the world. So the question is, how do we show God's justice in exile? For the life of the world, episode four, the economy of order. Genius. I don't know how many of you are sports fans. I've grown up in Oklahoma with the greatest uh, college football team, the Oklahoma Sooners. Just plug that. Um, but, but I wasn't a hockey fan. I didn't grow up as a hockey fan, but moving to St. Louis, you guys like hockey. Uh, we have some big hockey fans, uh, and, and the Blues um, are doing well right now. But I love going to the games. You see the movement, and you see everything that happens. And there is an order to it. There's an order to any sport. There's rules that you play by. But hockey is one of those when things don't follow order and the rules are not played uh, by as they're supposed to and as they're intended, the players take it in their own hands, right? And I have to admit, I kind of enjoy seeing that. Uh, It's one of my things I enjoy going and and seeing at at a hockey game. But you have the role of the referee. And the role of the referee is to restore order. To get everything back is how it's supposed to be. And I don't know if there's another sport like hockey that the role of the referee is, is that. Uh, the rest of sports, there's a lot more stoppage and everyone knows the rules. But with hockey, players take it into their own hands often. And the role of the referee is to restore order. What we're going to look at today is we know there's injustice. We know that things are not as they're supposed to be. We know in the very beginning, it says in Genesis that it was uh, formless, that it was empty. And, and theologians say what, what, what they believe he's saying in, in Genesis is it was chaotic. And, and God speaks things into existence and he gives order to everything. He gives order to everything. Whether it's the trees, it's the ocean, everything begins and ends where he says it does. Then he creates man and woman and there's a fall and there's a brokenness to our world. We know that God is a God of justice, that there is a payment for penalty. There's a, there's a payment uh, for the sins that we have committed. 
It is a separation from God. But God being loving, since Jesus to pay the price, there's still justice in that. Someone had to pay for our wrongs. And so we see that in Jesus. And so we see that God is about justice. We see that God cares about these things. And I believe, and I hope we'll see this as we work through this, that we should as well. We should care about injustice. We should care when there's not order to our world. When we hear that there's injustice, what we're saying is we want things to be right. Justice is when things are as they should be. So I built our boxes. I just thought about this as I walked in this morning. Uh, I, I built these yesterday with all the boxes that we had, and I gave order to it to try and keep them from falling. Uh, if I was to pull out a certain number of boxes in certain places, there would be chaos. There would be chaos, and they would fall, and they would spill, and there would be consequences because of the disorder. And that's what we feel. That's what you and I experience in our world is a disorder to what there is supposed to be in order to. Things are not as they should be. So I believe that all people are created in the image of God, which means we all long for moral justice. We all deeply long for this. If you're here today and you're like, you know what, I don't know if I believe in God. You might even call me an atheist. I would say that you still long for justice. That you still long for things to be right. And I believe that is because you have been made in the image of God. And so as we think about this, I think we often fail to see that our lives can actually be lived out in a way where we help restore things back to order. That we can play a role in bringing justice. That we can play a role in pursuing what is right. We're going to look at a scripture today found in Isaiah 58. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's a red Bible around you somewhere. Please take that. That's our, our gift to you. Um, this passage that we're going to look at, it's a little long. It's going to be 14 verses. I'll I'll do a little teaching after the first part, and then I'll jump in uh, later. Uh, The Jeremiah passage, Jeremiah 29, that we've looked at, to seek the peace and the prosperity of the world, uh, is written after what we're going to read today. And so this is written to a group of people who really have turned a deaf ear to God. This is a common theme throughout the Old Testament, that that people abandon uh, God for other gods. And so the, the writer of this is trying to bring them back. They're trying to bring them back in this idea of serving God with humility, of offering love to their neighbors. And so these people have turned their backs to God and they've alienated themselves from him. And so this pronouncement that we're going to read and hear is really this declaration made with the hope that God's chosen people will return to him, that they would come back. Verse 1, Isaiah 58 says this, Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed. So he's writing to a group of people who would say that they are extremely religious. They follow all of the right rules. They do everything that they are supposed to do. Not only are they seeking God, but they are eager to know him. That they pray, they fast, they, they read the scriptures. They do everything that they are supposed 
to do, and they want God to come near to them. In verse 3, we see this idea of them saying, look what we've done. Look how good we are. God, why are you not acting on our behalf? We've fasted. We've kept the rituals. Yet where are you? However, we see in verse 1 at the very beginning that they are rebelling. And they're about to hear how they are rebelling against God. Now, let me ruin the story for you. Uh, They're rebelling because they're not pursuing justice. They have forgot what it means to love their neighbor. They have forgot what it means to take, the, take care of the needs of the people around them. And if we're not careful, this is the danger I think we have, especially in American Christianity. The danger that we have is that we will become quick to do the rituals. We'll, we'll be quick to say, look how good we are. I read my Bible. I even fast. If you fast by chance, I... I pray, I I give money to the church. Look how good we are. Yet, we might fail to love our neighbors. We, We might fail to understand what it means to live justly, to pursue what is right. Uh, Tim Keller has had a huge impact on me. He's a pastor up in the the Northeast. He was pastoring a a large church in New York, and he's kind of transitioning. He's wrote several books. I would encourage you. Generous Justice is one of those church. For the City is another one. But but Tim Keller has helped me a lot as I think through this. Uh, He says this, if you say you have a relationship with God, but not with the poor and the oppressed, you're mistaken. You have no relationship at all. Let me say that again. If you, have, if you say you have a relationship with God, but not with the poor and the oppressed, you're mistaken. You have no relationship at all. One of the things we say is we can't say we love God and not love our neighbor. I cannot say I worship God without seeking the needs of the people around me. And you've been here long enough. We talk about this a lot. So let me just to confess something to you real quick. I'll never pretend to be the smartest person. I'll never pretend to be a a really deep theologian. Uh, I listen to guys like that. Uh, that, That's not who I I am. Uh, I try to be creative, and I try and present it in a way where you can learn it. But here's my goal. And as I look at the teaching of Jesus, Jesus stays very simple. His message never changes. And so my hope is your pastors, the one who teaches you week in and week out, is for us to draw as near to God as we possibly can that we can learn as much as we possibly can about what it means to follow Jesus, and then we do it. So I feel like part of my role is to, to, to remind, to help us remember who God is and what God is about. In this moment, in Isaiah 58, the writer of this is saying, look, you've missed it. You've been quick to do all the rituals and to look religious, but you have missed the ultimate message of Jesus, to love God, and to love people, and that message has never changed throughout the story of the scriptures. Let's keep going. It says this, Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? That was a way of fasting. Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? 
Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and, to not, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Three things I want to pull out about justice and what I think God's call is to us. The first I, I've kind of touched on, if you take notes, uh, number one, if you think, if we think we're in right relationship with God and are not pursuing justice, we are fooling ourselves. Th these people think that they are in right relationship with God because they're doing the right things. But then we see here, they, they say, look, you're, you're going to fast and then you're going to live that way? You're going to go to church every Sunday, and for some of you who grew up in church, so it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, you went on Wednesday night. If you had a revival, you were there every evening. You would check the boxes. That's what they're doing here. And many of you, you didn't do that just to check the boxes. You were pursuing God. I don't want to come across in that way. But for many of us, we, we think that honoring God is just by doing the religious duties. And the writer here is saying, look, you can do that and be far from God. What does it mean to be near to him? We see in the Old Testament time and time again, the way God is talked about is a God who cares about the people at the bottom of the barrel. He always associates himself with the least of these, never those who are put in power. Even when Jesus comes, he comes in, and everyone calls him a king and he is a king, but he sets up a very different kind of kingdom. They think he's going to come and over run the current authorities, that he's going to come and, and there's almost going to be this war where he's going to defeat those who have been oppressing him. And he comes and he humbles himself and becomes a servant. Very different. What we see that God connects with the least of these. Uh, Proverbs 14, 31. We, we do this. We pursue justice uh, because this is the heart of God. Proverbs 14, 31, it says, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Proverbs 29, 7. The righteous care about justice for the poor. Those who are in right standing with God. Care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. I honestly, there was a, a part of me who wanted to stand up this morning and just read scripture. Right? You, you, you can't open the Bible and not see that this is who God is. That he calls himself a father to the fatherless. 
a husband to the widow. Those are two groups during this time who are always overlooked. They were forgotten people. They weren't taken care of. They had no rights to anything. And this is the kind of God who says, I am for them. Not only is he for them, but he is with them. So there's no other religion like this. This was a radical way of of doing life. This was every other God that you could read about associated with the powerful, the kings. They put people in in power for certain reasons, but this, this God is completely different. And we see it in the New Testament. Those who were called Pharisees, they were often religious leaders. Now listen to this in Luke 11, 42. He says, woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. The religious people in the New Testament, they said, yeah, I I give a tenth. I'm I'm following all the right rules. And, And Jesus comes and says, You've missed it. You don't care about what's right. You, you don't care about justice and the love of God. Uh, Jesus goes so far as to say in the end that groups are going to be separated. And he's going to want to go, he's going to go to one group and he's going to say, look, I, I, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you came and took care of me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. And they're going to ask, when when did we do that? And and Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And then he says, when you failed to do those things, we have failed to do it to God. This is who God is. If you're an atheist, if you would say, I don't know if there is a God and you've rejected Christianity, I have a feeling this isn't the Christianity you've rejected. I think often people reject a Christianity that we have come up with, right? So if you're here today and you're doubting and you're wondering who God is, this is who the God is that we are trying to figure more out about. This is the God we're trying to learn about and to emulate and to be like. And so we see that this is who God is and because this is the character of God and we are made in his image, we should respond in the same way. So it's clear that God is a God of justice. But what is justice, right? We could go to lots of different groups and we could say what's right in this situation. We could have lots of opinions, uh, depending maybe even how you lean politically. Uh, we could have lots of ideas. This is a kingdom issue, not a political issue. This is a world issue, not even just an American issue. We want to be about justice for all people. And so again, I want to share. Tim Keller gives three biblical ways of justice. Uh, these are what he believes, and I, and I agree with, uh, what it looks like for biblical justice. The first thing. Equal treatment. Equal treatment. This is racial and social equity. Uh, In the Old Testament, there's lots of teaching where it says, you treat the foreigner, the stranger in your land, the same way you treat the native born. Right? So you, you look at them the same as you would who are born and raised in your own community. They actually would tell the, the farmers to, to leave the edges of their field. Right? They would leave the edges of their field because the second part of justice is to give special concern to the vulnerable. So we see that there's this equity, that, that, that all people should be treated fairly. If you've read the, the declaration, there's a great line in, in our declaration, right? That all men are created equal. 
and there's these things that they can pursue. But I don't know if you know this. They write this, but then it wasn't lived out. Do you know this? That, that they said all men are created equal, but, but that wasn't necessarily what they did. And so we see that there's been injustice in our culture, in our country, really forever. And so we have to begin to see that all people are created equal. But there are times where we have to give special concern to the vulnerable, that we speak up for those who are not given a voice. Not that they can't speak up for themselves, but they are failed. They, we have failed to give them a voice. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says this, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, or do what is right, or seek justice. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. There are some things that we do for some people that we don't do for others. That there are some people that we have to even help level the playing field. And so we see everyone as equal, but we do give special concern. I want to tell you something that I'm really excited about. I had a meeting this last week with a lady named Shima. She helps oversee the anti-trafficking group in St. Charles and in St. Louis County. And so she does these seminars and she brings in law enforcement. She even brings in the FBI and she talks about trafficking. If you're not aware of what trafficking is, it is a, a horrible epidemic that is going on in our country, really around the world. Uh, whether it's sex trafficking or it's labor trafficking, this is real and it is happening in our neighborhoods. It's happening in our schools. She shared two stories with me I'll share very, very quickly. One, maybe you heard about it, a teacher at Vashon uh, is in trouble right now, is arrested uh, for, for trafficking a young boy, attempting to traffic a young boy. Uh, there is a young girl that they have helped out of a St. Charles school who was bringing in around $20,000 a month. And the, the, the person who had control over her was using her to get other girls as well. This is in our community. This is happening. This is not right. This is me pulling out a box and breaking up the order of what should be happening. This is an injustice. And so we can't just hear about it and know about it and not do something. And so uh, January 10th is uh, Trafficking Awareness Day for our country. And so they're, they're working on dates, but on the 10th or the 11th right here with our community, uh, we're going to have a seminar. We're going to begin the conversation of what it looks like for us as a church, as a community, to fight back against it and to work towards justice to see what role we could play in, in helping these kids. And so I, I hope you'll be a part of it. Uh, we're inviting lots of people from the community. Um, she is a Muslim young woman, and so she is inviting uh, those in our community, the, the Hazelwood Mosque, uh, to come and be a part of this training as well. Uh, we are doing this for the good of our community. And as we partner together and we seek the peace and prosperity of our community, we do that with people who maybe don't live like us or believe like us or look like us. But we are called to seek the peace and prosperity to where we have been sent. John Perkins, who I uh, quoted earlier, he says this, we live out our call most fully when we are a community of faith with arms wrapped about a community of pain. I'm gonna read it again. If you don't remember anything else I say, uh, go read John Perkins, listen to everything he, he puts out. He says, we live out our call most fully, our call as followers of Jesus, most fully when we are a community of faith 
with arms wrapped about a community of pain. Not overlooking it, not pretending it's not there, but wrapping our arms around it. The third thing when it comes to biblical justice is generosity. When we look at what it means to be just, to seek what is right, it means we live as generous people. Verse 6 of Isaiah 58 says, It's not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked, to clothe him and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? If you do away with the yoke of oppression and the pointing finger of malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves, this is the line, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Oh man, that if you spend yourselves, right? We can give at no sacrifice to ourselves, right? We, we can, many of you can. You can give your money, you can give your time, and we can give our resources, and it, it doesn't really cost us anything. But the language here, to spend yourself, to give yourself relationally, your energy, your resources, it says when you do that, your light will rise in the darkness. If we're going to live as strangers in a strange world, let this encourage you, if we're going to make a difference in our community, it will often be through our generosity that our light will shine, that people will recognize that we won't just confess to be followers of Jesus, but we'll live out what we believe he has called us to do. Now, I know when I, when I teach something like this, there's a couple of responses. Uh, one is guilt. And I've said this over and over to you, and hopefully you've heard me. Guilt changes nothing. It just doesn't. Am I in the short term? You might feel guilty enough to make a, a, a contribution or to give your time for a, a little bit, but guilt, guilt won't change anything. Neither will duty. Duty doesn't either. So if you leave here and you're like, well, I guess I got to do it. It's my duty as a follower of Jesus. That won't change anything either. Neither will self-interest. Being for justice and doing what is right because we think we might get a return on it won't change anything, and that is not the heart of God either. So what does? It's when we begin to see the beauty in justice. When we begin to see how beautiful it is to do what is right, to speak for those who can't speak for themselves, to make sure that the hungry are fed, that those who are oppressed, who are taken advantage of, when we begin to have conversations and help break that, it's beautiful. So we pursue justice out of beauty and not duty. This is what it says, verse 11. The Lord will guide you always and will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. He will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. They are going to restore it. You'll be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words. He, he's saying, look, if you begin to observe the Sabbath, if you begin to do all the religious things you're supposed to, not out of duty, but because you see beauty in it, that's when things begin to change. We come here on Sundays and we sing and we celebrate and hopefully you leave encouraged but also challenged. We, we do that because we see beauty in it. We see beauty in what God is doing on our 
behalves. Elaine Scarry, uh, who wrote a book, uh, Beauty and Being Just, says beauty gets us out of ourselves. If we're going to pursue justice in what is right in our community, in each one of us, justice is done in a personal way. It is each one of us figuring out what does it mean for me to live justly, for me to pursue what is right, not even waiting for the church or someone to organize it, but for you personally, what does it mean? You will begin to see that when you see beauty. You'll see beauty when order is restored, when things are as they should be. And we see justice as a beautiful thing. Let me end with this. We see this happen in the life of Jesus. Jesus doesn't just talk about it, but God sends Jesus into a place of poverty. He's born in a stable. His mother and father have nowhere to go. They actually, when they dedicate him, they use two pigeons for dedication. That means you are the poorest of poor if you use pigeons to dedicate your child. They have nothing. Jesus at times says that he has nowhere to lay his head. He has nowhere to go. That, that he, is, uh, he has nothing when he dies. He literally has a robe on his body and they take that. He is buried in a borrowed tomb. He has nothing. Jesus doesn't just say he knows about the poor. He becomes poor. He, he doesn't just say, I know what it means to be oppressed. He becomes oppressed. He has an unfair trial. He's horribly tortured and he's put to death. Just hear me on this. God, through his son Jesus, lives out his life in a way where he says, I know you're hurt, I know your pain, and not only do I know it, but I'm going to live into it. I'm going to live in the midst of it. He is not immune to our suffering. Last thing right here, uh, James Cohen in the book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, he says this, and yet Christians, the Christian's gospel is more than a transcendent reality, more than going to heaven when I die to shout salvation as I fly. It is also an imminent reality a powerful, liberating presence among the poor right now in their midst, building them up where they are torn down and propping them up on every leaning side. The gospel is found wherever poor people struggle for justice, fighting for their rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our lives are not our own. We must care and love our neighbors, not just the ones who are easy to love, not just the ones who we think are doing what they're supposed to, not just the ones who are living the lives we agree with, but when we see injustice as followers of Jesus, because it is the heart of God, we do something about it and we respond. This is what God does. What does he expect of us, Micah 6, 8? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Greg's gonna come up and, and close for us. I really hope, as I said earlier, I, I often do this, I think, because I have to remind myself about these things. But this is the heart of God. This is the kind of church that we want to be. We do. We, we want to not just say that we're going to love God and love people and our, serve our community. We don't want to just put it on a sign in the hallway, but we want to do it, and we are. We are. You are participating in what it means to pursue justice, to restore things back to order. A lot of you are fostering kids. A lot of you are taking classes. A lot of you have fostered. Some of you have adopted. You're pursuing adoption. That is loving the least of these. That is loving a group of people who are often forgotten. 
I think some of you might be at a point where you think maybe that's what we need to do. Do it. It won't be easy. <laughs> I can't tell you. I see a little bit of it, but we have some families here who would stand up right now and say, look, it is not easy. But I think it's right. If you're at a place in life where you can do it, I think it's right. I think as we have this seminar on trafficking, you, you, you come. You at least say, God, what can I do about it? But you might have something else. You, you might see a need, whether it's racial injustice, whether it's economic injustice, whether it's our educational uh, systems that are often not just. What is it? What is it for you? And what step can you take? Man, as we sing this song today, let this not just be words, the song we end with every week. This is a declaration that says, this is what I'm going to do. I'll stand today with my hands outstretched. It's a sign of saying, this is what I want for my life. If you feel comfortable doing that, I would encourage you to. Would you stand with me as I pray? And we sing this together. God, we are not there yet. I'm not there. I'm trying to still figure out uh, what it means to love you and to love people. I'm trying to figure out what it means for me and my family to not see our lives for our own Lord. Uh, but to see that you have put us in this place for a reason and that you have called us to seek justice, to restore order where there is disorder, to see a community that flourishes because of the decisions that we make. God, I know it won't be easy, so would you give us courage? Would you give us wisdom and insight? Would you make this who we are? Would this define who we are as individuals and as a community that we would seek justice. Amen.